Oh, what a great time of worship. Uh, I, I just feel really energized to feel full of praise for God. I hope you are too. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I kind of, at least for me, I kind of felt God was perhaps just encouraging us to push on in our, in our faith as well. That's what I kind of felt maybe it was God was speaking to us. And uh, thankfully, uh, what I'm really speaking on this morning is also along those lines of, you know, let's push on in our faith. Great. So, um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex, and I am a member here at Christfirst. And I'm going to be continuing our series in the book of Galatians. And this morning, I am going to be looking at, if I can get this to work, looking at, there we go, seriously good news about freedom. Seriously good news about freedom. Now, I believe that if I asked every single person here, would you like to receive greater freedom? Would you like to receive freedom? I believe that every single person deep down would say, yes, of course we do. We would love to have freedom. We would love to have more freedom. And the good news this morning that I have is that God would love us to have greater freedom. God has purchased our freedom, and God's will is that we live in freedom. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is instructions from Paul, where he's saying, this is how you live in freedom. So I hope you're excited to see what uh, Paul has to say to us. Uh, and for me, actually, it, it, it kind of feels like a real high point in the book of Galatians, this, the first half of chapter 5. I think Paul's been building to this over the first four chapters, perhaps. So I'm excited to share it with you. So let's dive in to our passage. Uh, so we're going to be reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. The words will appear on the screen behind me. But if you do have a Bible, um, do also open it because we'll be going back and forth too. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, starting verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, sorry, counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me, let me pray quickly. Yeah, Father, we, we thank you that you have set us free. Father, we, we thank you that your desire for us is that we live in freedom. We, we ask this morning that you would, you would speak to us. I ask that you would speak through me, and yet you, you would help each one of us to live the life of freedom which, to which you have called us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, yeah, so what, really what I'm going to be doing this morning is just working through that passage because I think what Paul is doing is he's setting out steps, steps for us for this is how you can live in freedom. And so we're going to go through the passage really and see what Paul has to say to us. A quick note, but I, um, I'm not actually going to be looking at verses 7 to 12 this morning, which we've had. Um, if you do have any questions about those verses, do, I suppose, feel free to ask me or ask one of the elders after the service. I'm sure we'd be happy to explain perhaps what is going on there. But we're going to start in verse 1, and it's behind me. So it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is um, quite a famous Bible verse. I wonder if you've heard it before. And it's actually a verse that I've often struggled to understand. I, I, I couldn't understand what, what's Paul trying to say here. Because he, he's saying freedom and free. Is he just repeating himself? Has he got confused? What does it mean to, that we, should, we are called for freedom, that we have been set free? What does that mean? Uh, and I think what Paul is doing here is he's distinguishing between the initial act of being set free and then the action of living in freedom in our Christian lives. These are two separate things. So I'll say that again. Paul is distinguishing between being set free and then actually living in freedom too. And it's important that we, we understand this right from the off. Just because... Uh, well, if you are a Christian here this morning, just because you're a Christian does not mean that you are necessarily living in freedom. It means that you have been set free, but we also need to actively engage in living in freedom. So that's what I'm actually going to be talking about this morning. It's not the initial act of being set free, but we're going to be looking at how do we live in freedom. And so this is a message I think that is appropriate for all of us. If we first of all do look at how we have been set free, that first step. We have uh, this passage in Acts. This is um, actually Paul speaking, and Paul says this. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You see, this is the, the first freedom that we have we have received, we ha Christians have received freedom. We've been set free from sin. If we put our faith in Jesus, if we declare in our hearts that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, uh, that he died on the cross, rose again, and because of that, we can have forgiveness of sins. And if we believe in that, then we have been set free. Praise God. Praise God. And that's that, 
that's what Paul is talking about right, when he says that Christ has set us free. But he is also calling us to live in freedom. If we return back to uh, Galatians verse 1. Look at what Paul says. He says, stand firm. Do not submit. Paul is really encouraging us. This is a battle we need to fight. But we need to fight to live in freedom. Uh, this morning, I'm going to actually lead us through a little story. And I'm going to come back to it throughout uh, my message. I don't know if anyone knows where or what this is. This is Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. And now, uh, Alcatraz Island is actually famous primarily for one thing. In fact, is that it holds a prison on this island. And to me, it, it seems like a completely ingenious thing to stick a prison on an island like this. Because even if you escape as a prisoner, you're still going to be stuck on this island unless you somehow manage to oh, swim to the other side. Yeah? So that's what we've got. We've got Alcatraz and we've got a prison here. And now, for the purposes of our story, I want you to imagine you, that you are a prisoner on Alcatraz Island. You are serving a life sentence, and you have no hope of uh, early release or no hope of escape. However, one morning, you wake up, and the prison guards come to you, and they say, you're free to go. You're amazed. They open the prison cell. You walk out. They even lead you out. And all of a sudden, you are a free man, and you are standing on the edge of this island. Now, I, what I'm trying to say is that just as you have been set free from prison in this story, that is the same as the freedom which we, we have been given in Christ. But, but, you're still stuck on this island. And if we want to get to the mainland, the main city, we have to decide how we're going to get there. And in this story, I'm going to say that that is the same as how we are challenged to how we're going to live our Christian life. And we're going to look at some different ways by which we try and get to that mainland. How are we actually going to live our life as Christians? Because sometimes we can do that in freedom, and sometimes we can do that in slavery. But that's our first step to freedom. We need to know that actually we need to fight to live in freedom as Christians. That's verse 1. Now, if we continue into verses 2 and 4, what we have here, I think, is Paul explaining what we can do so that we would lose our freedom. Or Paul's explaining how we could live so that we live in slavery. So we can read this and hopefully learn some lessons about what not to do. Let's read it. It says, look... I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, I really struggle with that word, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Excuse me a second. So as I say, this, Paul is explaining here how we can live. And if we live this way, we, are, we lose our freedom. And I think the starting point is clear. The starting point is when we accept circumcision. 
Now, I don't want you to sit here and think, okay, fine, Alex, I'm not gonna get circumcised. I'm great, I'm free, job done. No, thankfully, <laughs> that's actually not the, that's not the end of the story. You see, what the underlying issue with circumcision is that the Galatians were tempted to try and earn God's approval by being circumcised. Or they were trying to add to the salvation that they had received in Jesus. Yeah? That was the issue. Not the actual act of circumcision, but it was the fact that they felt like they needed to to earn God's approval or the fact that Jesus hadn't done enough on the cross. That was the issue. And once we understand that, all of a sudden we can, we can insert so many different things for us instead of circumcision where we try and earn God's approval. Perhaps it's church attendance, or even prayer, reading your Bible, witnessing to your friends and family. Any of these things where we feel like we do them to earn God's approval, or even to add to our salvation, that is what Paul is warning us against. So let's try and continue with Paul's logic here. What does he say? He says that if you do this, if you try and earn God's approval, then instead you would have to keep the whole law. You'd be obligated to keep the whole law. Now, the whole law in this context, Paul is talking about the, the commandments of God. For example, like the Ten Commandments, where Paul is saying, this is how you should live. And so the problem is that we are incapable of keeping all those commandments. And so if you're relying on those things, to try and earn your approval with God. You're running up a mountain you will never be able to get to the top of. And that's why it's slavery, because you're having to do things in your own efforts. But you're never gonna get there. And God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to do that. And look at what Paul says is the result of this. Some really quite terrifying things he says. He says that Christ will be of no advantage to you he says that you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. These are such strong words that Paul is using, so we need to listen to what he's saying. We need to listen. Okay, if we turn, return to our, our story. So you remember that you have been set free. As Christians, we have been set free, and we are standing on the side of the island. But we're trying to work out how do we get to the main city. I think that the equivalent of accepting circumcision, circumcision or the equivalent of trying to do things to try and earn God's approval would be just to, to, to jump in and try in your own efforts to swim to the other side. Because, I mean, I'm a terrible swimmer. I'm utterly awful. But I think for, even, for all of us, if you were just to jump in, all you're doing is you're trying to do something in your own efforts and you're, you're probably doing something that you are not able to do. We must not do that. Another way, perhaps, of thinking about this is that we should not feel like we have to repay God. Um, something I hear quite often, and something I somehow, well, not somehow, quite often think myself is, is this. It's, I'm so thankful for God and for what he's done in my life. But I must try and repay him, even though I know I cannot do so. I think that thinking along those lines is it's at the best dangerous, and at the worst, it's, it's just incorrect. 
let me show, show you another example that might help to explain this. You see, imagine that you won the lottery. 50 million pounds lands in your bank account. Amazing. But you then decide that you want to try and repay this amount. And so you, you keep all the money, you don't get to spend it. And actually, you end up taking free jobs, working around the hours to try and earn more money to pay it back. How foolish would that be? And it's the same if we feel like we have to try and repay God for what he's given to us. It's the same. There's just no need. It's foolish to try and feel like we have to repay God. Obviously, we cannot. But additionally, God doesn't even want us to. I think there's three reasons why we should not try and repay God. The first is really simply that God doesn't want us to. He has graciously blessed us in Jesus Christ. We can't add anything to that. So there's no need for us to try and repay God. There's just no need. Secondly, it's also potentially an insult to Christ. You see, we believe that Christ has achieved everything on the cross. There's nothing left that Jesus didn't achieve on the cross. And so if we feel like we have to try and earn God's favor, or we have to try and repay God, which might, well, in effect, saying that Jesus hasn't quite done enough. I need to add something to what he's done. How incorrect is that? And the final thing is that if we feel like we, we, want to, we have to repay God or earn his approval, we forget that actually God is the one who equips us to do good in the first place. Hebrews 13.21 says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. You see, it's God who equips us. And it's God who works in us. And so the idea that we can repay him is crazy. Because he's the one who works in us to do good. Just to finish up this point, I want to clarify that the desire to please God is good. The desire to serve him in thankfulness for what he has done is good. It's really good. The issue is if, when we try and take that and we shift it and we feel we're like we need to do that to earn his approval or we need to do that to try and add something. No, that's what's wrong. And that's what Paul is warning us against. But if that's true, then I suppose it, maybe it leaves us in a place of thinking, well, what, what then is the alternative? Thankfully, Paul has us covered. If we continue to look into verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I think this is the key. This is how Paul wants us to live. Through the Spirit and by faith. Through the Spirit and by faith. If we return again to our story about Alcatraz, we decided that diving in and swimming in your own strength, that was foolishness. That was, you know, that's not going to work. Well, what's the alternative? Well, I think the alternative is that God is actually coming alongside. He's in a boat and he's saying, come on, follow me, be obedient to me, and I will take you to the other side. And yes, I think that for so many of us, 
even when there's in, that invitation, we decide that we want to dive in and swim, even though God is say, there saying, come, I will help you. Because that's what living through faith, through the Spirit and by faith means. It means that we seek our help from God. And yet sometimes we are so slow to seek him. Now, I'm aware that terms like uh, living through the Spirit and by faith can kind of get lost in, like, Christianese. We're so familiar with the term Spirit and faith, but we, we don't really know necessarily know how is that really going to change my life? How is that going to change my life? Uh, well, I think there are three ways where we can, we can look at and think this is how you can live through the Spirit and by faith. The first of these is that we, ne- we can acknowledge truth. And that's what we, we've been doing so far this morning. That's what I mean by this is that we need to even daily just remind ourselves that we have been set free by God and that he is calling us to live in freedom. We remind ourselves that we do not need to try and earn God's approval. We don't need to repay God. We need to remind ourselves of that, because when we do so, we are then freed and enabled to live in his grace. That's one step. Another step is that we need to be people who do spend time in God's word. You see, when we, yeah, when we come in humility and read God's word, I think we're showing that we trust God. We're showing that we want to have God's guidance in our life. We're saying, God, show me how you want me to live. We're not saying, God, I'm just going to do it all in my strength. No, we're saying, God, I'm, I want you to speak to me. And we know that when we open up the Bible, when we read it, uh, we're opening up ourselves again for the spirit to move. So that's how we can live through the spirit by spending time studying the Bible. And the third point is quite similar. We need to be a people of prayer. Again, when we come to God in prayer, we're acknowledging that we trust God more than ourselves. We're acknowledging that we need him and his strength in our lives. And again, when we, when we come to God in prayer, we're also opening up ourselves again for the spirit to come and move in us. We're opening up the spirit, opening up for the spirit to guide us. We're saying, God, I have this decision. Is it this or this? And when we come in prayer, we're allowing for spirit to come and to guide us in that decision. So I think those are just three things that we can do to practically live through the spirit and by faith. And I hope it's clear why this can help us to live in freedom. Because instead of striving in our own strength, we can instead follow God. We can instead rest in his grace and we can instead uh, be empowered by his spirit. And so we can be free. Now, I think if that was the, the end of Paul's, Paul's message, I think we might, might still be left with a problem, you see, because we know that living an obedient life to God is good. And what we've been saying is that God has also called us to freedom. And yet I think we know that sometimes living in obedience does not feel like freedom. Having to do something to be obedient can sometimes feel instead like slavery. So how can we bring those two things 
together. Or, or to put this another way, um, I know that when I first became a Christian, uh, I kind of struggled with the idea that how can Christianity claim to make you free when all of a sudden I'm an una unable to do what I want to do? I'm not allowed to spend my money how I want to. I'm not allowed to spend my time how I want to as a Christian. I feel like I'm actually restricted as a Christian. So how can that be freedom? However, I think Paul is aware of this, and he, he has a glorious, glorious and good answer. And I think it comes in verse 6. Verse 6. Uh, bear with me a second. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then in verse 13, you, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, I feel, I feel like the key to how those two perhaps contrasting things can be brought together, the key is actually love. The key is love. I'm just going to take a few moments to explain why I think that is the case. You see, that when we when we're freed by God to live in love, all of a sudden it becomes a joy to live in obedience because it flows out of us. You see, Christianity is not about um, us gritting our teeth and day by day having to do things that we don't want to do. You know, sometimes there's, there's value in discipline, but actually the Christian life is, is about the Holy Spirit coming into us, changing us from the inside, so that our desires are changed, so that instead we love to do the works of God. We love to be obedient. That is what true Christianity is, and that is freedom. The key is love. And I think Paul is also saying that uh, love is just the natural product of living a life of freedom. I think that's what perhaps he's alluding to when he says in verse 6, but only faith working through love. You see, I think Paul's saying that if we live in faith and through the Spirit, then we can live in freedom. And then when we live in freedom, then love is just the natural product. It just flows out of a life of freedom. I think that's what Paul is saying. And I think this, is, this actually makes a lot of logical sense. You see, I think if we're living in faith, then what we're doing is we can live in a life that trusts God, a life that is content in Christ. And when we're content in Christ, when we're full of his goodness, then it's easy for us to extend love to others because we are so full ourselves. The opposite is when we live in, in what Paul would say is the flesh. So if we're not living in faith, we're not full of Christ, and therefore we're having to continually look to the world to try and make us full. And when you're doing that, it's so hard to love when you're just looking for everyone else to try and make you full. One final flip back to our Alcatraz story. Imagine if, if you're swimming with all your strength, trying to do things your own by yourself, how hard would it be to love others then? You're just trying to get by yourself. You're trying to do things in your own strength. It's not easy to love then. But if you've decided to follow God 
allow him to lead you, allow him to strengthen you, then in that fullness, of course, it's easier to love others. It just flows out of it. So I think that's a glorious truth of freedom, that God is calling us to freedom, and then when we live in freedom, love just flows out of that. Verse 14 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think for me, this is the beautiful fruit that a life of freedom bears, that we are then able to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, I think if we try and do this in our own strength, if we try and love our neighbors apart from God, I think we're just bound to fail. It's too difficult. But when we opening, open up ourselves to be filled by God, filled by his Holy Spirit, and when we live in faith, then we are free to love our neighbors as ourselves. So just in closing then, I think what Paul is saying is that Christians are the most free people in the world. Why is this? Because we can live free from a burden of having to please God and other people. We're free from that. Instead, we can live in faith. We can live being empowered by the Spirit and being strengthened by God. And when we do so, all of a sudden, loving others and doing good, it just flows naturally out of us. And so, of course, there's freedom. But I think it's clear that in all of this, we need God's help. We need God's help. Uh, so this morning, perhaps, you feel like you need God's help to enable you to live through the Spirit and by faith. I think, I think we all do, but perhaps that's a particular, you feel challenged by that. Uh, perhaps you, you feel like you need God's help just to, to remind yourself every morning that you have been called to freedom and not to slavery. Perhaps this morning you just feel like the idea of having to, to love your neighbor sounds so difficult. And then, if, if that's you, then we need God's help to change our desires so that it's a joy to love others. Perhaps you feel that for you, obedience to God is, just feels like such a slog and such slavery. Well, again, we need God to work in us through his spirit so that that becomes free and joyful. Um, let me just close in prayer then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom which you have purchased for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you as well that you call us to live a life of freedom too. Pray, pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning and I pray that you would do a work in their lives, that you would help them and me to live life, a life of true freedom. Lord, would you pour your spirit upon us, do a work in us so that our desires would be changed, so that it is a joy for us to serve others in love. Yeah, Lord, would you make it would you bring true freedom to us 
say that being obedient to you is a joy. Would you work in us this morning? I pray. Amen.